and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and descended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, December 6th, we're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. In today's text, St. Paul wraps up his instructions concerning meat sacrificed to idols. He reminds the Corinthians to seek not their own good, but the good of their neighbor, all the while doing everything to the glory of God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have this returning guest, Pastor Vance Becker. Pastor Becker is an LCMS missionary to Kenya, serving as a theological educator at Nima Lutheran College in Matongo, Kenya. Pastor Becker, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Well, thank you. How is the work going there in Kenya, Pastor Becker? Well, coming along, we're getting near. We've got a couple of weeks left in the semester. Uh, time is flying, and we're making plans for next semester already. Um, hopefully the students are buckling down. <laughs> That's right. Here and there, I suppose. That's right. <laughs> what What are you teaching right now, and what are you, what are you teaching coming up in the next semester? Uh, this semester, homiletics one, homiletics two, um, uh, Christian doctrine, uh, which is a one-semester course for certificate students, deaconesses, and evangelists, uh, then cate- small catechism, uh, which is also for deaconesses and evangelists, and uh, Christian worship, uh, Lutheran worship one. All right. So that's this semester. Next semester, homiletics one, homiletics two, uh, New Testament introduction, um, uh, Pauline epistles, and oh, let me stop and think. What's the other one? Um, oh, symbolics, which is ah. comparative religion. Okay, very good. All right, so so you can preach a, a sermon for us today on the last part of 1 Corinthians 10, and this will help you with your Pauline epistle preparation for next semester as we get to look at this <laughs> yeah. text today. All right. So, Pastor Becker, with, with this text in mind, then, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 10 and the first verse of 11 as well. What kind of context should we know about this epistle, what Paul's been talking about leading up to this section? Well, uh, you know, of course, I have not yet heard myself. You, you've had guests that are talking about the first part of it, and and I don't know that all of your listeners have heard all of that. Uh, so let's just say that in this letter, he is basically addressing a variety of issues. Uh, Corinth has some problems, which is why uh, when I began a new uh ministry at a new church, I thought, let's study 1 Corinthians to start with, <laughs> you know, just, just to address some of these issues, because, you know, some of them are, they're still around. Uh, he starts his letter addressing the issue of unity in the church, which is a problem there, and he makes a point that it is to be based on doctrinal agreement rather than on, than on personal loyalty to leaders. And then he leads to pointing out how everything is connected to Christ, and our relationship with him. And that is a theme that runs through the book. It's all, it's all about Christ. Uh, and 
at the same time, with every issue he emphasizes is Christ and our relationship with the others who have a relationship with him. So then he starts dealing with issues one at a time. And I am going to say that the ones he picks up first are related to sexual morality, um, you know, sexual relations, but uh, you know, various marriage and, and sexual immorality. Then in chapter 8, I would say he begins to transition to issues related to worship, starting with idol worship, which we're not part of, uh, and meat sacrificed to idols, which is an issue there. And then in chapter 9, the one right before this text, he elaborates on a point that what is most important is not my rights, but what is the right thing to do for others. And that's that comes up more than once in here in dealing with issues. And the common idea in Paul's response to various questions is the main issue is relationships. It's not the food. It's not what's worn. It's relationships. Um, now, in chapter 10, he's still on this topic of uh, participating in idolatry. And now at the end of chapter 10, he comes back to this eating meat sacrifice to idols. And his emphasis is on how this affects others. And the, the first time he brings it up, he talks especially about how it'll affect weaker believers. In this section, I'm going to say, he picks up on how it's going to affect unbelievers. And then, uh, so after this section, this is, I'm going to say, the, the end of this uh, three chapters on dealing with idolatry and meat sacrificed idols. He moves on to other issues related to worship more specifically, Christian worship and various issues in that. Mm. I think, too, within this, the last part of chapter 10 that we looked at previously, there's a little bit of, of a thought of, make sure it doesn't have an effect on you either, with the, the warning concerning the Israelites and the way that they you know, all heard the good news. They all walked out of, of Egypt through the Red Sea on dry ground, and they all all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, but not all believed, and so some fell in the wilderness. I think there's also, um, you you said, you know, we want to watch out for how this affects my neighbor within the church, the weaker brother. We want to watch out, we'll see today, how this uh, confesses to the unbeliever, but we also want to watch out how this how this affects me too, lest I become wrapped up in idolatry. So all of these things are, are in play as Paul is discussing this matter with meat sacrificed to idols, now, we've talked about this issue a couple times in this section, Pastor Becker, but as a missionary in Kenya, perhaps you or your students have a little more experience with this matter of meat sacrifice idols than, than some of us do here in the United States. Is, is this an issue that is still faced by the, the church in, in Kenya or other places that you're familiar with? You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because as I have taught uh, through 1 Corinthians uh, in uh, some of my classes here, some of the things that for us as Americans, we say, okay, that was an issue back then, but it's not an issue today, like meat sacrificed to idols, like like women's head covering. You know, those things are still issues here. It's just interesting to us all the time how much being here gives us, a, it's, it's a Bible times lifestyle here in, in various ways. And yes, 
Okay. My students have told me, I have not seen it right in this area, but some of my students have told me, oh, yes, in areas where they come from, well, there's very definitely idol worship. Um, right. And there is uh, there are sacrifices to idols and uh, meat sacrifices to idols, um, along with, you know, like witchcraft, where you got to sacrifice a chicken or a goat, you know, this kind of thing for that. And my students right. tell me, yes, in, in some of their places, uh, eating meat that has been sacrificed to idols and is being sold, that is, that is a thing. Wow. Yeah. So again, this is, this is not outdated by any means, whether in Kenya or in the United States. The Word of God speaks to us still today with instruction for our faith and life. Any more introductory comments on, on this text from 1 Corinthians 10 before we jump in, Pastor Becker? Uh, no, I'd say let's start looking at these verses themselves. All right, so we're in 1 Corinthians 10, beginning at verse 23 this morning. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. That is our text for today. That is 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. Pastor Becker, in verse 23, we have this phrase, all things are lawful, which had come up previously, I recall it in, in chapter 6 especially, and at that time we we thought that seems to be this is the a slogan, something that the Corinthians are saying to Paul, that he's going to come back with, well, maybe you have to think about it in this light. So we have all things are lawful twice, and then, but not all things are helpful, and but not all things build up. What's Paul getting at here in verse 23 of our text? Well, let me say yes. Uh, it is the same kind of thing that we see in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. In both places, it's repeated twice. Uh, and yes, it seems that this is, he's, re he's quoting a claim of some in Corinth and repeating it, maybe even in a mocking way, you know, all things are laugh for me. But uh, I, I've noticed also that, that this, this is a, a teaching method of ancient teachers. You present an argument, a statement, and then a counter-statement. That was a, a common way of teaching. So he's following, following this pattern that, that the Corinthians uh, as Greeks would be familiar with. Um, and it, it is the thing we have to recognize is it is true that Paul himself has taught that in Christ we are set free from the law. And that is in the sense that we're not under the burden of the law, we're not under the accusation of the law. But, as Paul also points out in his other letters, that does not mean that we 
do what is wrong. We are still controlled, not by the law, but by the Spirit. And so we are still expected to obey the law of love. Uh, Jesus himself summarized in the what was called the great commandment. You still have to love your neighbor as yourself. And, and that seems to be a main emphasis of Paul here. Yes, but still love your neighbor. And uh, so one way to think of it this way, it's been said Christians are free from the law, so we can do anything we want. But the question then is, so what do you want? What is it that Christians really want? And just as an aside here, when I teach catechism class, which is one of the ones I'm teaching this year, um, I point out that we, we start with the commandments, and that tells us what you, you have to do. But then we come to the creed, and that tells us what God has done for us. So we're not under the law anymore. And I say it this way, yes, so we can do anything we want. So what do Christians want? We come to the Lord's Prayer, and the Lord's Prayer is, here is now what Christians want. We want God's name to be honored. We want his kingdom to come. We want his will to be done. Uh, and that's why we now live the way we do. Uh, so, uh, yes, you are free, but. Now, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, where he repeats it, the, the first reply is the same. Not everything is beneficial. In 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking about sexual immorality, and his second reply is, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And now, in chapter 10, he uses the same, the first phrase, yes, but not everything is beneficial. That is, you know, to me, in a sense, I can do anything I want. You know, so I could jump off a cliff if I wanted. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not going to do that. That's not good for me. But the second reply is, no, but not everything builds up others. So it's not necessarily good, not just for me, but for others. Uh, a person could think of all sorts of things that, yes, you could do, but you're not going to do it because it's not good for you. And so now uh, he's going to emphasize, but we're not only thinking about me. I'm thinking about how this applies to others. That's what I need to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I'd noticed that too. That the previous time you had a, a slightly different response the second time, and I think I think you're right on to to notice this. So as we think about how do I live in my Christian freedom, what is it that I want? And I love the way that you connect that to the Lord's Prayer. These are the things that Christ teaches us to pray for. We know that our Father desires to give them to us, and so that does shape our desires to want these things as we ask for them, and as we consider then that question within our lives. Well, it's the guiding question isn't all things are, or all, the guiding principle isn't all things are lawful for me. The guiding principle is I'm looking for what is helpful for things in concerning myself so that I won't become slave to something, right? so I won't be enslaved, but then for the sake of others, the, I build them up. So there is that, you know, it's not just about me in this Christian freedom that I have but it is about the betterment of my neighbor and the betterment of the church, the building up of other people. Yes. So as I noted before, it's all about relationships. And just to get ahead of ourselves here, you know, when he comes to uh, later on, when he talks about, you know, spiritual gifts and those kind of things, he comes back to it again. It's not for your benefit. It's for others' benefit. The point is, how is it going to help others? Yeah. Well, and, and this too— uh, this helps, I think, to to keep 
chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians from becoming a cliché when we talk about what love is. You know, Paul will say love is patient, love is kind, and, and so forth throughout that chapter. And by the end of the chapter, he says, you know, we've got these three, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Recognizing how the theme of love for the neighbor has been prominent in a variety of ways throughout this epistle, in chapter 6 when it came up with sexual immorality, in chapter 7 with the matter of marriage, in chapters 8 through 10 in terms of what I do with meat sacrifice to idols, in chapter 11, as we'll see, with the matter of head coverings in the Lord's Supper, in chapter 12 with spiritual gifts, over and over again, love has been the guiding principle. He's been reiterating that. So that by the time you get to chapter 13, You've, you've understood what Paul has, has said about love, and it's not a, a mere cliche that you only read at weddings, but really is describing the totality of the, the Christian life. Yeah, and, and, and it speaks to, I think, today's Christian and today's Christian church, to say it in modern terms, you know it's not all about you. <laughs> and sometimes what? we get that attitude. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more about that, Pastor Becker. Why, why do we need to hear that in the church even still today? Well, okay, I, it's been a while since I've been in the American church, but but I suspect it is still there. There's a lot of church shopping. Uh, you know, you know what what do I like, and is it meeting my needs? Um, and uh, you know, and here there's a lot of prosperity gospel, um, and and it's it's coming from there. Thank you very much. Um, uh, and and all of it is just. This that natural human tendency, you know, it's all about me and meeting my needs, and you know, what are the rules, what are the limits, you know, and I've seen it there. I see it here too. The first thing people want to know is, okay, what's the rule? What's the limit? How far can I go? That's what people always want to know. How far can I go? And Paul's answer is, that's the wrong question. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and again, it's not that we're unconcerned with what the law says. We're not unconcerned with what the Ten Commandments teach. We should pay attention to you know, does the do the Ten Commandments speak directly to what I'm what I'm seeking to do? If they say don't do it, then then don't do that. If they say to do that, then then yes, by all means, do that. It's just that if that's the only question we're asking, is this lawful? Then we we run into all kinds of problems. I, I had this, this conversation previously in chapter 6, at least in part, that it's, it often happens during confirmation class when you're looking at the Ten Commandments, that students will ask, well, well, what about this, Pastor? Is that a sin? Or what about that, Pastor? Is that a sin? And again, while that's, that's certainly not out of bounds to think about that, if that's the only question we're asking, we're not thinking about how is this helpful or not, then we... We might run into things that, well, yeah, it's lawful, but we're going to run a, run against what Paul's teaching here. Yeah. For people who live under the gospel, under grace, yeah. how much am I allowed to do is really the wrong question. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Instead, the right question, again, for chapter 10 especially, is what is helpful and what will build up? What will build up my neighbor in love? So those are the opening statements for, for Paul here in verse 23, and then he really makes that clear in verse 24. Let no one seek his own good, 
but the good of his neighbor. Here again, we have that basic guiding principle for the rest of how he's going to apply it. Help us into verse 24, Pastor Becker. Can we do this? Can we take 24 through 26 in one chunk? Go for it. Okay. Uh, because what I'd like to do is, as I'd like to start by jumping to 26, um, and he gives the reason that we, for not, he says, okay, don't, don't ask, you know, is it sacrificed to idols or not? And the reason he gives is, be, is Psalm 24, 1. That's what he's quoting in verse 26. The earth is the Lord's. And his point is, okay, this meat does not belong to any demon. It belongs to God. And that verse, uh, I understand, was used by Jewish teachers, which these people are going to know, as a way to show it's a proof text for why we should pray a prayer of thanks at meals. And so he's getting into that, uh, you know, giving thanks. Because everything God has created is good. Uh, but at the same time, everything God has created is ruined by man's sin. And one thing I like to say is there's nothing that God has made that is so good that we can't use it for something bad. And at the same time, there is nothing that happens that is so bad that God cannot use it for something good. Uh, so, he says, you know, first, let's keep in mind, everything belongs to God. Now, the main question about eating meat sacrificed to idols, that was answered back in chapter 8. Uh, don't participate in idol feasts, that's very clear. Uh, don't go and, and buy meat and eat it at home that you know has been sacrificed to idols. Um, you know, don't participate in idol worship in general. Um, the thing is, is not right or wrong in itself, but again, it's how it affects other people. Now, earlier, back in chapter 8, Paul dealt with the concern about how our freedom to eat is going to affect a weak fellow believer and lead them into sin. Uh, they're thinking, okay, this is a sinful thing to do. I see that person doing it. He's a mature Christian. And so I guess I can do it, but still in their mind, it's wrong. And so for them, it's sinful. You were mentioning, you know, the question, well, what's right and what's wrong? Well, that's a complicated question because going against conscience is wrong. And even if it's not a wrong thing to do, if doing it goes against your conscience, then you are sinning because you're deliberately doing, you're rebelling against God. You're doing what you think God says is wrong, and that itself is sinful. Now, that doesn't mean as long as your conscience is good, sinning is okay. No, it doesn't go the other direction. Uh, so there he was talking about you're going to lead a fellow believer into sinning by rebelling against God, doing what he believes is wrong, even though the meat's fine. But now here in verse 27, or, um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so verse 24, he's talking about um, you know, seeking the good of the neighbor. And that's, that's basically what we've been talking about. You're not just looking out for yourself, um, but love your neighbor as yourself. You're looking for their good. So how do you do that in this situation? Verse 25, you can eat what's sold in the meat market without raising a question on the ground of conscience. That's what he dealt with back in chapter 8. It's just meat. The idols don't exist. There's only one true God, and God made it. 
but we we have to remember to you know it's about relationships and uh, including here now he always comes back to our relationship with God, and that is be thankful for what God gives and don't call anything that God made and God gives bad. So yes, nothing wrong with the meat itself. Uh, so like it, Jesus says, it's interesting. Jesus says in uh, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 8, where he's talking about the disciples going out on what I'll call their internship or vicarage, eat what is set before you. And that's basically his advice here too. And I don't know if he's intentionally quoting that, mm-hmm. but he's saying, eat what's set before you. But I'm getting to verse 27. Anything you want to say before we we uh, roll well, right just, on so into on- verse 27? Before yeah, before we get there, then so in like in verse twenty five and twenty six, then eating whatever sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience, because of what it says in Psalm twenty four. So kind of what I'm imagining in my mind is the the Christian walks into the meat market and sees all of the meat there, and without raising any questions about it, when when that Christian looks at the meat market and all the meat, the, the Christian prays a prayer of thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for this daily bread. Thank you for providing food. For me, for my neighbor, for my city, thank you for this, because I know all of this is yours. The The cattle on a thousand hills are yours, Lord, and, and here you have provided meat for me and my neighbors. Thank you. And so as it, as it concerns me, when I look at all that meat, that's what I see. That's the prayer of thanksgiving that comes into my mind. Idol worship isn't something that's going through my mind, because I'm a Christian, and I know who the true God is. And even... In Psalm 24, which he quotes from here, the matter of idolatry is there in the background. The, the Later in that same psalm, the, the question is asked, who who gets to ascend the hill of the Lord? And in the way that the, the psalm continues, it's, well, those who do not worship idols, those are the ones who truly see the Lord as he is. And so for, for me as a Christian, I go into the meat market with that kind of, of thanksgiving. This is the Lord's gifts to me. It belongs to him. Now I receive it with thanksgiving for myself and for my neighbor. That's all for, for me on my own. The matter of my neighbor's conscience is, is what's going to come into play later. Is that and we'll, We're going to pick that up on the other side of the break, but is that pretty well summarize kind of what's going on there in, those first, in that, that section, Pastor Becker? I'm going to say yes. Right. Fantastic. It's good to be in concord with a brother in Christ. We're going to keep looking at this text from 1 Corinthians 10 on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Vance Becker this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you, church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, December 6th. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, through chapter 11, verse 1, with Pastor Vance Becker. He is an LCMS missionary to Kenya, serving as theological educator at Nima Lutheran College in Matango, Kenya. Pastor Becker, prior to the break, we were talking about the way the Christian would enter into the meat market, seeing all of the meat there with thanksgiving, because the Christian knows that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That is what goes through his mind, and so he receives it with thanksgiving. However, the matter of others does need to be brought into the picture, and that's what Paul begins to do in verse 27. As you stated from the outset, he's already talked about the way that the weaker brother's conscience might be affected here he's going to talk more about the unbeliever and his conscience and, and what confession the Christian might present before him. So help us into verse 27 and following as needed. Okay. Uh, now you were talking about you know going into the meat market, seeing all the food. One thing that sort of brings this up is in Corinth, I understand, in particular, the meat markets are close to the temple uh, where the, the sacrifices are being made. And so you're going to have you're going to have meat that's just brought in from the you know the butchers or whatever, and you're going to have the other meat and it's going to be mixed together, and so you might not know when you buy it. In fact, your your host might not know when he buys it, but on the other hand, he might, and so he may or may not saying something about it. Um, and uh, so he is addressing here specifically: you're getting invited to a dinner. So, chapter eight, it was meat you're buying for yourself. Here, it is you're invited to an unbeliever's house for dinner. Now, some of these readers are going to be Gentiles. They've got unbelieving relatives, maybe even, and neighbors, um, and, and others might. Nothing wrong with having relationships with unbelievers. He says in another place, if, if you're not going to do business with unbelievers, well, you're not going to get along very well. Uh, so, and for us too, we want to have relationships with unbelievers because that's that's how we, we draw them into the faith. But you're going to this house, and uh, you're eating with them, and maybe there are also some other Christians there, possibly those weaker in the faith, like those mentioned back in chapter 8. So you have to keep all of these people in mind. And uh, you know one thing. Back in chapter 8, he says, you've got knowledge, but be concerned for their conscience. Now, Romans, he talks a lot about conscience there. Uh, you know, God has given us a conscience. We've got a natural knowledge. With my students who don't know English well, instead of conscience, I use the term uh, knowledge of good. That is knowledge of what is good to do and knowledge of my, my own good. And Paul makes the point in Romans, sometimes my conscience is right, and sometimes my conscience is wrong. That's why I need the revealed knowledge in the Bible as well. Sometimes my conscience will accuse me, and sometimes my conscience will excuse me or being wrong either way. Uh, but as I commented before the break, 
And Luther also uh, commented that we were reminded of this recently in the Reformation Day, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And so you have to be careful, not just is it right or wrong, but is it against conscience? So he's saying the same rule that applied when you're buying meat in the meat shop applies to eating in the home. If you don't know whether it's a sacrifice to idols or not, it's just plain meat. But now that seems to indicate an exception to the general rule. If your host clearly comments it has been offered in sacrifice, now it's a different issue. It has become an issue uh, because you clearly do not want to participate in idolatry and fellowship meal with idolatry, and you do not want to to suggest that you are for any reason. Now, the host, why would he say it's been offered as a sacrifice to idols? Might just be an offhand comment if he, you know, just mention it. Possibly a courteous caution to Christian guests, just so you know, in case you got a problem with this, this was sacrificed to idols. Um, well, okay, because he, he might know you've got a problem with this or think you've got a problem with this. Or possibly even as a challenge to a guest. Hey, this was sacrificed idols. What are you going to do about it? Uh, whatever his reason for mentioning it, once it's mentioned, then we've got another issue. Now, a little bit of, a, of, a, of an aside. As I mentioned, the issue of conscience can make something right or wrong that is not necessarily wrong in and of itself. But once it, he's mentioned it, we've got another issue, and I'm going to say that this connects to my favorite part of the Book of Concord, Formula of Concord. Formula of Concord, Article 10, about what we commonly call adiaphora. What That is, things that are not commanded by God, you have to do them, but they're not commanded by God that you can't do them. It's, it's an area of freedom. Um, and, and this is where this text sort of connects to us today, even if we don't have meat sacrificed idols, because we do meet deal with matters of adiaphora in the church. Um, so it's not that it's wrong in and of itself, but uh, with church issues, and that's what's in Formula Concord, based on the demands or the expectations of others. And in Luther's day, it was the demands of, you know, the Roman Catholic Church, you have to do this. Or the expectations of the Reformed, as we would call them. We expect that you would do this. Um, if in their understanding, doing this or that is connected to something that we recognize as false teaching, a false belief, then to do what they think we should do because of their false belief would, by our actions, indicate that we agree with their false belief. We're going along with their what the ex behavior they expect, and that seems to suggest we go along with the beliefs and teachings that they expect. And so, our behavior now, even if not wrong in and of itself, our behavior becomes false witness. We are saying something by it, we're saying we agree with something that we don't agree with. And then it is wrong. It's wrong to do it if my behavior would suggest that by doing it, I'm agreeing with the wrong belief or teaching. And that's the issue here. You seem to be saying, I go along with sacrificing me to idols if I say, hey, no problem, I can do it now that I know 
it's been sacrificed to idols. Um, yeah. So, so that's an issue that I. It's another issue that comes up here. Any any response you want to make to that? Well, this uh, formula formula of Concord Article Ten actually came up not that long ago in adult Bible class uh, here at Faith. Uh, we were we were talking about the passage from Matthew fifteen where Jesus tells the the Pharisees, you know, don't don't make laws uh, of your traditions. Let let God's law be law, and don't leave your traditions where they belong, not not above God's law. And so we were we were talking about, and that certainly I think is is in view here, where, where Paul's got this thought of all things being lawful. The freedom of the Christian is in view, but so we we talked about Formula Ten recently, and and the example that I use, and I think it it fits well with w- the way you were describing it in these times where this certain practice, which in and of itself is not sinful, when it gets attached to something that is false teaching, then we should not engage in that practice that otherwise would be free to us. And and one of the examples that I brought up in Bible class was the matter of the the mode of baptism, the amount of water that you use. The amount of water used in baptism is something that's entirely free to the Christian. But in certain contexts, especially here, where we have fellow Christians who insist that the only mode of baptism is to be immersed, then at that moment, we might need to think, oh, I'm going to just pour the water in this case, because I don't want to be associated with the false teaching that a baptism is valid only if it's an immersion. Yeah, that comes up here in classes. The When we talk about adiaphora, the other thing that comes up here is the other sacrament, Lord's Supper, and that is using wine or not. Because in this culture, I mean, even among the Lutherans, but I think it's influenced by others, drinking any sort of alcohol is just, you know, verboten. You just don't do that. Um and it's very difficult to, to convince the students that there's a difference between drinking alcohol and getting drunk. Uh, but that's sort of another issue. Um, but, but that's when it comes up again, is adiaphora. Why do we say use, we use wine? One reason is because there are those who say you can't. Mm, wow. Yeah, and, I, did, I didn't know that, that was a, wow. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that was a, that was a thing. Wow. Yeah, so again, although the meat sacrifice to idols may not be an issue particularly where we are, in these matters of Christian freedom, thinking about how to use that freedom for the good of my neighbor and for his conscience not to be led into sin, this is a very applicable thing in a number of respects within the Church and and the Church's practices, and also in, in everyday Christian living. Again, that meat can be received with thanksgiving, when someone makes the connection to idol worship, this is something that Christians don't participate in. And so at that point, Paul says, you don't eat it. Now, And he, he makes it clear, you don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you for the sake of his conscience. He, and doesn't mean your conscience, but his conscience. In verse 29, he asks this question, and then into verse 30 as well, why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? What's he saying in in those two verses? Okay, we're coming back to what he sort of hinted at in uh, verse 28. You know, the earth is the Lord's and fullness thereof, therefore we give thanks. As the Jews would say, that's why you give, you know, you pray a prayer of thanks at meals. And and this is something that uh, Paul writes about in various places, uh, where he talks about, um, you know, Romans 14, uh, receiving everything, you know, with thanks. 
First uh, Timothy talks about you know, marriage uh, and abstaining from foods, which is here also. Uh, everything God created is good is to be received with thanks. Um, and uh, so it, it's good in itself. And let me just make a comment about conscience. So conscience is our understanding of what is right or wrong to do. It's also our understanding about whether I am right or wrong. And Peter points out, because of baptism, I've got a clean conscience. God gives me a clean conscience. So I don't have to worry about my conscience in the sense of, am I good or bad? Um, but when we talk about thanks, you, we get into his main point in the end of these verses is, which is, what am I saying about God? I need to give glory to God. And God gets the glory for this. God gets the thanks for this. Um, uh, because uh, everything has to do with our relationship to him. Now, uh, let me just say in regard to, uh, which verse is it here? Verse 30, why am I denounced because of that for which uh, I give thanks? Well, a couple of Greek words here. First in verse 30, if I participate with thankfulness. The, the Greek word there is charity, basically in English, um, which could be translated, I, uh, I partake with grace. But that's not the best translation for it here. It's in the dative. So it's well translated. I participate with thanksgiving. Mm. Um, and But then he says, why am I denounced? The Greek word there is blasphemed. Well, blas blasphemy usually means to criticize or specifically to slander God. Um, and in a sense, that is what's happening when somebody criticizes me. They're not just speaking against me. They're speaking against God himself, who has given this to me because God's the one I'm glorifying when I give thanks. So if they're criticizing me for doing it, they're criticizing God for giving it to me. Uh, so that's, that's the issue. So he's leading to verse 31. We're doing everything to the glory of God. And that's another line that we find in various other letters as well. Uh, everything is to God's glory. Mm. Now, connecting back to that person I'm dealing with, uh, I'm concerned about their conscience. I have Christian liberty, but I want to use my freedom in a way that helps them. And basically, the main thing I want to do to help them is point them to God. And so he's leading up to, I do what I do as an evangelist, as a way to, to keep from putting a stumbling block in their way to keep them from God. I want to do things in a way that points to God and glorifies him, uh, even when I'm sitting here eating a meal. Talk, talk a little bit, of, I mean, what, is, what does that look like to eat or drink or do anything to the glory of God? It's such a broad statement. What, what does that look like in, in the Christian life? Well, let's connect it to Colossians 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Uh, our whole life is to be lived to the glory of God. So we want to do what is right, but because we are not living under the law, we want to live in a way so that our, our good works give, uh, give glory to our Father in heaven so that when people see us, they do not say, boy, these Christians are pretty bad people. 
but so that they say, well, these Christians are good people, and that must say something about their God. I, I use the example in teaching. Um, okay, you know my mother. Uh, I'll tell a story on her. I remember being a kid. We, we'd you know, have to run to town for something. She throws us all in the car, and on the way to town, she looks over, and here we got a dirty smudge on our face, and, and her expression was, you look like a pack of virgins. So she'd whip out her tissue and spit on it and reach over and scrub on our face. And I thought, well, why does she care what I look like? Well, as a parent now, I know because what I am like reflects on her. And everything we do reflects on our God. We have a good God. We have a just God. We have a loving God. And uh, in various ways, uh, everything we do reflects on him. And because I'm his child, back to Lord's Prayer again, my the first thing I want, the first thing I ask for, is that everything I do honors His name. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's I, again. I really appreciate you bringing back to the Catechism and the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. So Paul, Paul, then as he continues, and you've you've started to, to talk about this. Give us a little bit more, Pastor Becker, in verses thirty-two and thirty-three. Give no offense to the Jews or Greeks or to the Church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Yes, here he is spelling it out. Why do I do what I do? Is not to make myself look more holy or good. I don't need that. Uh, I'm already made good by God. It's not just to make other people happy either. He does use this phrase here, you know, I want to please others. That's not just to make him feel happy with me. Um, but it's and it's not doing what I do just to impress others, but it's to glorify God. It's to benefit others. So in verse 32, he spells it out. In our behavior, we should not give offense, not to Jews on the one hand, not to Greeks on the other hand, not to those who are already in the church of God either, not any of them. Now, we have to understand offense here, the way the Bible uses the word. That doesn't just mean Doing something hurts other people's feelings. You hear a lot about that today. No. When the Bible talks about giving offense, it's doing something that causes them to stumble and be hurt in faith. Not hurting their feelings, hurting their faith. And the host or others could be offended in the sense of hurt feelings if we don't eat his meat. Well, we're not worried about hurting his feelings and say, okay, now I can't eat your meat because it's sacrificed to idols. But I don't want to give offense to the faith by in any way suggesting worshiping idols, sacrificing to idols, is okay. Um, so I don't want to give offense. That's the thing. Now, now you can't keep people from giving offense, because <laughs> a lot of people take offense anyway, but you want to carefully avoid causing people to stumble in their faith. And so it's this evangelistic goal, which is, I think, is what he's aiming at. We glorify God for the sake of other people coming to, to faith. So then in verse 33, he makes that very specific. Uh, the goal is that people are saved. And now, translation here, so they, they may be saved. No, it's not just maybe. It's the goal is that they are saved. Uh, that's the goal in all of this. And so I'm saved. Don't have to worry about that. But I want to make sure that others are saved. And, and that's why back in chapter 9, he says, I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, 
so that I can share these blessings. Yeah, yeah. I, I made the connection too to chapter nine as I was thinking through this text. And one of the things that, that struck me here in chapter 10 is he speaks about this matter of giving offense and, and pleasing all these people, not causing them to stumble in their faith, is that he does include the church of God in that list. So that when, he, when we think about what does it mean to be all things for all people in chapter 9, connecting it here to chapter 10, it also includes the way that I relate to the people of the church. I'm not going to do—like, I don't only have the—, the unbelievers in view in chapter 9, but the the whole church of God, that the, there is an evangelistic purpose even within the church. Yes, they have faith, and they believe, and so they are saved. At the same time, I want them to stay there. And so as I, I think about how I act, I, I attempt, I'm not giving offense to those outside the church, not placing stumbling blocks in front of them, but I'm also not placing stumbling blocks in front of those who are in the church because I don't want them to fall away. Yeah, I think he's thinking back to those weak believers that he was talking about back yeah. in chapter 8. Yeah, that's so, right, yeah, that's right. Our, we, we have to look both directions. You know, For example, in homiletics class, when I talk about preaching the gospel, yeah, you need to preach the gospel to those who are not yet Christians, but Christians also continue to need the gospel. We need to be strengthened in faith. We need to, to deal with those who are weak in faith. Uh, we need to continue hearing both law and gospel all the time, we need to be con- concerned about building up others in faith because none of us have arrived yet. All of us are, are weak in faith and need to say, help my unbelief and need to be helped in our unbelief. Yeah. Now that brings us then to the last verse of our text, which does move us into chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. How does that fit into this section? And um, how can he say that? That's <laughs> okay. Yeah, and, and I agree that that chapter eleven, verse one, really belongs with these apologies to Stephen Langton, who divided the Bible into New Testament into chapters. Um, and you know, he does in the next verse talk about remembering what I taught you, but I think it does fit best because it directly connects to verse thirty-three. He says, "Here's what I do." I try to please everyone and everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that others may be saved. So in verse 11, he's saying, copy me in that. Not just, you know, be little me's, you know, be just like me in everything. But I think he's specifically saying, that's what I do. That's what I think you should do too, is not just look for your own advantage, but think about others, which we find other places in the Bible. And when he says this, he's, he's, he goes on to say, well, be imitators of me, that is, as I am of Christ. Insofar as I'm an imitator of Christ, be an imitator of me. Um, and and let me just say a word about imitation. We usually use the word, you know, we think preface with cheap, cheap imitation. It's a knockoff. It's not real. Uh, I think we need to be genuine imitations. And what I mean by genuine imitations is uh, a copy that's made in the same way as the original. And what makes us do what we do? It's the grace of God. Um, so not just pretend to be like me, but be like me because I am who I am because of the grace of God to me. And you also are who you are because of the grace of God to you. And that's why you can act in this same way because we have been made to be like Christ. And so we want to imitate Christ, not, again, not in the sense of 
hypocritical pretending to be like Christ, uh, but being made the true children of God, um, washed clean in Christ's blood, made truly like Christ. And so God's true children, and so let's let's live like who we are. Yeah, which is, and that's, that's, you can, I mean, we start to do that in this life in great weakness because we do have the Holy Spirit. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Christ has given us his gifts. We're going to talk more about that as this epistle goes on. And so this is not a, a matter of Paul becoming prideful, uh, but rather, again, putting himself in, in that line, I imitate Christ. I want you to do that as well, because together we are in him. It is his name that we bear, praying, again, Thinking about the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. Lord, let this happen for us, Paul says. have about two minutes here, Pastor Becker. Help us to wrap things up on this text from 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 this morning. Okay, one more thing I'd say about example, good teaching method. If Paul talks about pastors, you know, how do you lead? You set example. So Paul's saying, I'm trying to be a good teacher. I'm trying to set an example so that you'll learn this. And specifically, be like Christ. What's Christ like? Christ wants everyone to be saved. Christ does everything for us. He, everything he did was because of his desire that we are saved. And Paul is saying that's what we should be like. Let's be like Christ in his desire and doing everything so that other people are saved. And that's where he's leading to here. And uh, that connects back to his, why do we do what we do? It's not about rules. It's not about meat, clothing. It's about our relationship with other people and especially our relationship to Christ. That's why we do what we do. Pastor Vance Becker is an LCMS missionary to Kenya, serving as a theological educator at Nima Lutheran College in Matango, Kenya. He's been helping us today to study 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23 through chapter 11, verse 1. Pastor Becker, thanks for being our guest today. It was interesting. Thank you. All things are lawful but not helpful. All things are lawful but may not build up. As we seek to use our Christian freedom, we do so in love for the neighbor, building up the church of God, looking out for his good, not giving offense, not putting stumbling blocks in the way of the faith of others, but instead acting to the glory of God that others might hear the good news of Jesus Christ and believe. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.